You're listening to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I'm here to help facilitate conversations around what it means to step into your confidence so you can live the life you want, not the one you think you should. Join me as we talk about body and self-acceptance, nutrition, movement, and mindset so that you can uncover what dulls your sparkle so you can shine. With that, let's go to the show. Hey friend, I'm so glad that you're here. Hey listen, today's episode is a little bit different and I want to give a trigger warning and also kind of a graphic content warning. So this is definitely not an episode to be listening to in the car with your kiddos unless you have headphones or with other people perhaps. Um It's one that I've really been thinking about the last couple of weeks, and it's it's hard because it's one of those things that it's like, do I talk about this now? Do I talk about this later? When when is the appropriate time to talk about this? I don't want it to be just simply content for consumption. I want this to be... Something that is beneficial, something that helps, something that is encouraging yet eye opening. And so I've decided to talk about it now. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do that. And if you don't want to listen, feel free to turn it off. There's 114 other episodes, technically 116, if you count the reveal episodes for you to consume and to think about, and it'll be challenging and encouraging and motivating. This is just going to be a really different episode, but because you mean so much to me, so much to me, I mean, the last, what, 17 months of this podcast have been life-changing for me, and I love hearing from you every week from all forms of social media, from all corners of the globe. So crazy. This is a global podcast. We have listeners all over the world, which is incredible. And I love hearing from you. So please, if you have feedback or ideas for the show or interviews that you want to see happen on the show, uh, I would love to hear from you. Kim at CaptivatinglyConfident.com is my email. And you can also find me on Facebook. I run a group called Captivatingly Confident Community. And that is a place for all of my people, all my favorite people, you, to come into be in a safe place, a safe community where you can post triumphs and struggles and ask questions and just be engaged. And I would love for you to come over and join us over there. You can also follow me on Instagram at kim.ludeman. That's where I'm, I'm trying to show up more intentionally in both of those places, which right now feels really challenging. But I know that as I continue to heal, that that will be something that I'm really going to ramp up. So I'm not going to do any announcements about the amazing things that are going on. You can hear about those in episode 113 uh, about Summit Seekers and the Reveal Retreat. We'll talk about those later. So 
Today, obviously, the title of this episode is My Miscarriage Story. And I have thought really, really hard about this. And I even reached out to a couple of groups in my community to ask about how much is appropriate to share, how much isn't. When do I share? Um, Do I need to censor myself? How can I make this helpful and impactful? And I got so much feedback. I mean, I, I think that my posts about miscarriage have gotten the most interaction out of anything that I've ever posted, including the pregnancy. So a lot of you might not even know that as of December 18th, 2019, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> I had my first son in 2014, and this was my second pregnancy. It wasn't super planned. It was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, My first reaction was, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what did we do? And that continued on for a few weeks. And, you know, I slowly kind of transitioned my mind into, okay, this is good. And I have so many thoughts to share on that. And that's going to come later, motherhood thoughts. And it relates to non-mothers as well, but we'll get to that. So it was a big transition for us, and we were really excited over Christmas. We told my whole family. We told Tim's family. We told Lewis on Christmas Day. gave him a shirt that said, Big Bro, yo. And he was confused because he didn't know what a bro was. <laughs> I have failed my son if he doesn't know the word bro by now. And he was trying to wrap his mind around it and has been getting more and more and more excited. And so, yeah, we just adjusted pretty quickly because if you've been pregnant before, you know, your mind works at like warp speed. It goes from like, oh my gosh, what have we done to this is the best thing ever. And you're making college plans before you know it for your unborn baby. It's incredible how the mind works. And I am no different and had grand plans and just dreaming of what it would be like to have two children instead of one. And being an only child myself, this is a, it was a hard thing for me to grapple with. What is it like to raise two children? I don't even know. So I dove into books and reading and research and just prepping because I had no problems with my first pregnancy. It was easy breezy. I mean, I had a birth that was incredible. It was natural. It was four hours in and out, like half an hour of pushing. We were done. I don't even think it was a half hour. I don't know, but the whole experience was magical. And, you know, I was thinking about this birth and I was like, Ooh, I wonder if it'll be even shorter. (laughs) I'm excited. Let's, you know, I'm just making plans. And I even posted, so we we shared the news of our pregnancy at eight weeks And I was really hesitant to do so. And I couldn't really figure out why. Because with Lewis, it was like, guess what? We're pregnant. Yay. And we put it out there. But this time I was a little more reserved. Now I know why. But at the time, I didn't know why. And it was with great trepidation that I hit post. The reason for that is because we don't, the only reason you wouldn't tell people about your pregnancy is because of miscarriage. And we make 
decisions out of fear, because if we do have a miscarriage, we'd want that to be private. We wouldn't want to tell anyone because people don't talk about it because it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it's messy and it's different for every single person. And so we don't talk about it. So you wouldn't post about it. So a lot of people wait until after the first trimester when your risk of miscarriage is passed. For the most part. I mean, there's always caveats to that. And I have talked to many, many, many women in the last couple of weeks who have lost babies after 12 weeks. And it's it's awful. So that's why we didn't, that's why there was a little bit of hesitation and why we decided to post. Because I looked at my husband and I said, you know what? Even if we did have a miscarriage, I would want people to know because I would want to be able to hold space for them. Because when I was 19, I lost my mom to cancer. Two years later, I lost my grandmother to heart disease. And then I think six years later, we lost a young cousin who was, I think, under five to just developmental challenges that he had. And then years later, another grandmother and a counselor and some friends. You know, it's just, I'm familiar with grief. All too familiar. I've studied it. I've been in counseling off and on for 15 years to deal with grief. Because if you don't talk about it, If you don't experience it, if you don't feel it, you will stay stuck. And I stayed stuck for years because I didn't understand grief. And I think that culturally, we don't understand grief. We don't know how to support people in grief. And that's the other part of this podcast that we're going to talk about is how do you support people in various forms of grieving? So we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to share my story because I haven't heard anyone talk about miscarriage before. I mean, there's been the occasional like, oh, I had a miscarriage, you know, and that was it. And I had no idea how awful this was going to be because nobody had talked about it. So it's one of those things that I want to talk about. And I might get a little bit graphic with the description of it. Um, Feel free to like fast forward. But I think it's good. And here's why I think it's good. Because when you hear someone else's perspective, not only is it validating and healing for you if you have gone through it, but if you haven't gone through it, it gives you a better idea of what's happening to one out of five women. If you're in a room with women and there's five of you, one of them has had a miscarriage. It's an incredibly high statistic. And it can happen to anyone at any time without cause. The baby just didn't survive. And it's a miracle, in my opinion, that we're all walking around. Absolute miracle. But I want to talk about it so that you can better understand what women are going through all over the world and what women have been going through for thousands of years. Now, the caveat, of course, is that, of course, there are women who are relieved by a miscarriage. That is a relief to them. There are women who choose that, and that is that's okay, and that's their story, 
every single woman's experience with a miscarriage is going to be different. I am not claiming to know what it's like for everyone else. I'm just going to tell you what it was like for me. And given the feedback that I have received, hundreds of women have reached out to me, hundreds, and have said, here's my experience, or I know what that feels like. So I'm guessing that there's some pretty universal threads that run through this experience. But this is mine. So this, if you've had a miscarriage, this is going to be different than your story, and I'm not claiming to understand how you feel. Because nobody can know how you feel. Because you're unique, and how you feel is real for you. Whether you're relieved or you're upset or you're devastated, or you're thrilled. It doesn't matter. Your feelings are your feelings. Okay, December 18th, we find out we're pregnant. Yay! Super exciting. January 31st, we were supposed to go in for our 10-week, two-day ultrasound. So Tuesday that week, I start bleeding during a workout. And I had had some spotting early pregnancy that was brought on by doing too much of an intense workout. So I called the midwife and she said, you know what, just, just take it easy. You know, 25% of pregnancies have me have bleeding in the beginning. Ah, they're fine. You're fine. And the bleeding continued. And I said, you know what, I know my body, this isn't right. And she said, you know, you can come in early for, you know, your appointment if it eases your mind. I was like, yes, please. I would love to do that. So we went in on Wednesday, January 30th. No, 29th. I don't have my calendar in front of me. My days are blurry. Anywho, we went in and the the nurse that was helping us get checked in said, oh, so you're having some some bleeding and pain? Oh, that's not good. And I was like, excuse me, I have no pain. I just have bleeding. And they said it was fine. What do you mean that's not good? So I tried not to panic at her complete fumble of the situation. And the midwife came in and mind you, she was smacking her gum like while she was doing my ultrasound. And I was like, "Could do you, do you mind spitting out your gum <laughs> or looking at my child? I don't know. It just, that part still bothers me. So she talks to us a little bit, asks some questions, pulls out the ultrasound wand, and she puts it on my belly. And immediately I know. Immediately. And she kind of looks around a little bit for a second and pulls it off. And she's like, you know, I'm not really seeing exactly what I want to. So I'm going to grab the vaginal ultrasound and let's just, we'll just take a look at it. And if I need some backup, I'm going to bring in the OB. And I was like, crap because I've been pregnant before I know what a 10-week baby is supposed to look like and it didn't look like that so she brought in the vaginal ultrasound that was a great experience and that was sarcastic by the way she is looking at the baby and it's tiny it's so small it looks exactly like it did when we have our first ultrasound at six weeks it looks so similar except for this time there's no heartbeat. And I already know what's happening. Tim doesn't know what's happening. And she said, you know what? It looks like your baby stopped growing at seven and a half weeks. I'm so sorry. And she said, you know, what you're experiencing is a missed miscarriage. Your baby stopped growing 
but your body didn't realize it until now. So you're beginning to have a natural miscarriage. And you can either do a DNC surgery or you can take some medication that we have to speed it up or you can just wait. She's like, given that, you know, this was two and a half weeks ago, almost three weeks ago, my best suggestion is just to wait. I said, okay, well, you know, what does that look like? Is it going to hurt? And she was like, no, it's like, it's like just a little bit worse than a period. Just use some ibuprofen. Okay. So, you know, what do we, what do we do? She said, you just go home and you just wait. And I said, okay. She's like, it could take a couple days. It could take a couple weeks. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. That's a broad range. So she handed me a paper, a little handout and said, do you have any questions? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to ask. I've never had a miscarriage before. I don't even know what's happening. And I was in complete shock, complete shock. I told her, I was like, you know what? This is fine. It's fine. We weren't that attached. Like, we're good. I see Tim looking at me out of the corner of his eye with like one eyebrow raised going, wait, what? And so we left and he had to go back to work. And I went home. And I was like, you know what? I I even sent a couple Marcos to my friends like, hey, we got bad news, but you know what? It's okay. Like, this is a relief actually, because, you know, we're moving and I'm working a lot and I don't, you know, it's just, it's, it's okay. You guys, it was not okay. It was not okay in any way, shape or form, but I had no clue because I had convinced myself that if we did have a miscarriage, that I would be relieved. And that's how I protected myself, right? We tell ourselves things to keep us safe. But what that does is it just delays the inevitable grieving that has to happen. So we get home. Tim is at work. And I lose my shit. I start bawling, crying like I haven't cried in 15 years, losing my shit. And I shakily just called him and I said, you have to come home. And he did. He came home and he held me and we cried and we cried and we cried. It was awful. That was Wednesday. Thursday, Tim went to work. I stayed home and I had no cramping. I still have bleeding, but I had no cramping and waited all day, all day. At about halfway through the day, I called Tim and I said, you got to come home. I can't stop crying. Just on the floor, fetal position, screaming, yelling, wailing, crying. And friends, like those kind of tears haven't, haven't come since my mom died. And it felt very triggery of that time. But thankfully, I've done so much work that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But it was still shocking, the depth of emotion that I was feeling. So Tim came home and you know, we hung out, watched TV. We sent Lewis over to his grandma's house so that he wouldn't have to be there. And she picked him up after school, which was great. And Thursday night, one of my friends was coming over, bringing some dinner and distraction and ice cream and all that. And it was around like nine o'clock at night when the contractions started because that's what they were. (laughs) These were not cramps. These were not worse than cramps. These were contractions. 
and I recognized it after about five minutes. Because at first I was like, oh, oh, God, that hurts. So I took some ibuprofen and I grabbed a heat, my little heat rag, and put that on my abdomen. And I was just like, oh, man. Oh, I can't believe how hard this is. And went back to my hypnobirthing like mindset of like, it's not pain, it's pressure. The uterus is contracting, that's pressure, not pain. I'm trying to talk myself through it and breathe. And it felt just like the beginning stages of labor. And I went up to go to the bathroom and knew immediately that this was it. But I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it's still, my mind was like two clicks behind. So I ran to the bathroom and jumped in the shower and caught my baby. Literally caught my baby with my hand. And she was still in her sack. And everything else passed out as well. Just standing there in the shower, just everything coming out all at once. And my husband standing there in the doorway watching. And me trying not to panic and not realizing, oh yeah, you actually have to get the baby out of your body. I believe that the term that's often used is products of conception. You have to pass the products of conception. Let's call it what it really is. You have to give birth to your unborn, not living child. That's what it was for me. Not for every woman, but for me, that's what it was. This was my child. No matter how big or small, it was my child that I just gave birth to. And then afterward, the cramps stopped immediately. After the yolk sac, after the placenta, after everything came out, I threw on some big pads that I didn't know that I would need. Tim ran to the store and got them for me, along with donuts and ice cream, because he's my hero. And I just held my baby and finally decided that I could not. And I told Tim, I was like, I cannot flush this baby down the toilet. I, I can't. So we put her in a jar and just looked at her. She was beautiful. We don't know if it was a girl or a boy, but it just, we've been calling her a girl this whole time. It feels natural and right. Um, maybe a little intuition. I'm not sure. And we just looked at her and we sobbed and we sobbed and we sobbed. My friend came over about a half hour later and just, held me and sat with me. And we watched funny movies and ate junk food and my baby was in a jar on my dresser. If that's not disorienting and awful and horrible, I'm not really sure what is. How was it that two days before I was posting pictures of my 10-week baby bump? How was it that I was pregnant two days ago and now I wasn't? How did that happen? Cognitive dissonance makes you crazy when you know that you're supposed to be here, but you're there. So we, Lewis came home the next night and we told him, and I, <laughs> I thought I would die in that conversation. He burst into tears, my sweet son. And he asked us so many questions. What about the baby's first steps? What about my shirt? Do I have to give back my shirt? We're never going to have another baby, but I really wanted a baby brother. 
And he cried and cried and cried. And I looked at Tim and he's got tears in his eyes and I'm dying. And it was the hardest conversation I've ever had to have. So we put him to bed. He had nightmares for nights, night after night. And he still has them occasionally, some bad dreams, and says that he misses the baby. It's awful. So our friends showed up for us in true friend fashion, um, which was incredible to be loved on, hard to receive. For me, I struggle with that. But receiving meals and cards and gifts and messages that just poured in. And we shared pretty quickly about the miscarriage because we wanted people to know that we just experienced a death in the family, that our lives had just been forever changed. And so I took Thursday, Friday, Saturday off of work. And Sunday, Lewis went with some friends, and Tim and I decided to bury our baby. So we went over to a little place nearby called Powell Butte, where I go walking all the time, and found a spot, and we buried our baby. And it was awful. And I'm not crying now, because if I do, I won't stop. And I want to be able to talk about this with you. Tim cried. I cried. We held each other in the middle of this beautiful, woody, grassy, green place surrounded by trees. It was the perfect place. Perfect place. And we walked away. And that moment of walking away from my baby, buried all alone in this place, was excruciating. I had no idea that's what it would feel like. No idea. Monday, I was going to try and go back to work, but I couldn't. And I put on my running shoes and I ran over to where she was buried just to check on her. And more sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I put... All of the cards that we had gotten so far, um, a friend of mine had knitted a hat for our baby. And that's what you see in the picture of this episode cover art. And we'd gotten little onesies and stuff like that. And so I put it all, the sonogram picture, the pregnancy test, I put all of it in a little box. And that is all I have to remember my baby by. That's it. Just those few precious little tiny things are all I have left. And now it's been two weeks, just over two weeks. Today is Friday, Valentine's Day. And it feels surreal to be back at work, to be laughing and trying to laugh and trying to keep up with friends, but yet leaving space for those moments when I feel like I just can't go on. I cry when I need to. I laugh when I want to. And we're trying to heal and carry on. And it feels big and heavy. And I feel like I've changed 
And yet, like, I haven't. Everything else in life is the same, except we're now the parents of a baby that was never born. And I have a beautiful picture in my mind that was given to me pretty much immediately after the baby passed was this image of my mom in heaven rocking my baby, looking at her so tenderly, so lovingly, just in love with this little being, and her mom standing behind her, and her mom behind her, and her mom, and her mom, and this line of grandmothers. Because that's what my mom wanted to be more than anything. I remember when I was 18, my mom said, so how do you feel about having a baby? (laughs) And I was like, well, you've told me repeatedly that sex before marriage is out of the picture and I'm not quite ready to get married. So not feeling too strong about that one. She's like, yeah, it's fine. You just have a baby. She was teasing, of course, but there's always a little bit of truth behind every joke. And I know in my heart that she desired to be a grandmother so badly. I was her only child. And she passed away when she was 44 and I was 19. And she never got to see Lewis, my incredible boy. But I know, and I take peace in the fact that, not a fact, in the belief that she is holding my baby and she has her grandchild and she's happy as can be and showing her off. And I have to keep that in my head or else I think about the little bag, the little muslin bag that's buried a mile, 1.2 miles from my house. So I choose the better picture and that brings me peace, but it also wrecks my heart. And that is the story. That is what we've been going through the last two weeks is trying to go back to work, trying to care for our son, trying to move on and not shortcut anything. Because I know what it's like to be stuck when you don't grieve. And friends, let me tell you this. The only way out is through. And grief is not how it's culturally portrayed. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote this book, The Five Stages of Grief, and there's anger, denial, bargaining, uh, acceptance, and one other one I don't even know. And while those are all present, grief is not linear. It's not a process that you go through and then you're done. (laughs) Grief is a lifelong thing. It is a mark upon your heart that is always there. And I want to tell you the story of the ball in the box. It's an analogy for grief that helped me tremendously. So grief is like a box. And inside the box is a button. And that's the pain button. There's also a ball inside of the box. And when the ball hits the pain button, it hurts. (laughs) And at first, when the grief, the tragedy, the trauma first happens... The ball is huge, and it hits the button all the time, constantly. Boop, 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 hits that button inside the box. And over time, and hopefully with you know good processing, counseling, talking to people, your ball gets smaller and smaller. 
And you would think, oh, that's a great thing. It is, yeah, because you don't have pain all the time. But when the ball hits the button, is it random? It's triggered by a song or a smell or a thought or a sight. And it's excruciating, as excruciating as it was when it first hit the button. And you can't control when it's going to hit. You have no idea. You just are walking along and all of a sudden, bam, and you're doubled over. And this is happening to millions of people all the time. Sometimes we dissociate from the box and that pain comes out in other ways. Because you don't want to feel the pain, a lot of people use food or alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling or shopping to distance themselves from that pain. But friends, the only way out is through. And you never get rid of the ball. The ball is always there, but it can become so small that when it hits the button, it's not so bad. And that takes a lot of work. And I highly recommend brain spotting for if you're just feeling triggered all the time. Or if you feel like, gosh, I should be over this by now and I'm not. Sometimes that trauma gets stuck in our brains and in our bodies. And brain spotting is an incredible tool that can release that. And I did a podcast episode all about brain spotting, EMDR, and neurofeedback with Esther Prelog. You can find that on the show. I think it's episode 111. And that's an analogy that's helped me so much because it's not that time heals all wounds. Time shrinks the ball, but it doesn't ever go away. It's always in the box. And that has given me so much empathy for people as I look around me, thinking most people have a box with a ball in it. And it gives you a lot of empathy when you take on that position because a lot of people that are walking around, you have no idea. Like Tim and I went out, I think, for lunch on Thursday, and we walked past people, and they had no idea that my baby was going to be passed that evening. They had no idea. They looked at us as normal, but we were dying on the inside, and nobody knew. How many people are you walking past every day that are dying and you just don't know it? Which leads us to talking about grief and how to support people. It's hard to know what to say. Am I right? (laughs) I've experienced a crap ton of grief in my life, a a ton of grief and trauma, and It is so hard for me still to know what to say, but I have some ideas and I want to present them to you because I know I've had enough conversations with friends that say, gosh, I want to say something. I just don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't know what to say. So hopefully this is helpful for you. So the best thing you can do is to just be there. You don't have to ask questions. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have the right answers. All you need is to be there. If this is a person that you feel like you can share space with, then just be. Just sit with them. I have this beautiful picture in my mind of a story from the Bible about Job who lost everything, all his sons and daughters, his wife, his house, everything, and he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and his friends come and they just sit. Now, those friends ask all sorts of stupid questions and tell him what to do, but I like that picture of when you're just 
in it, having your people around you, being in it with you. It's like sitting Shiva when somebody dies. Seven days, doing nothing, just sitting. Just being is so powerful. For me, it was hard when people say, you know, just let me know if you need anything. That was really hard for me. I'm not going to ask you for things. And it feels so good when people just drop stuff off. So if you feel compelled to do something, especially if your love language is acts of service or gifts, just take stuff over. Just be like, what's your address if you don't know it? Mail something, mail flowers, drop off donuts, drop off a meal, grab a Costco chicken, you know, whatever it is, just do it. Don't wait to be asked because that puts the responsibility on the griever. Just do it. Just do it. If you don't want to spend the money, make a card and drop that off. Pop it in the mail. That is huge. And that's for me. You know, maybe some people have no problem asking for things. And I had one friend who was like, what do you need? And I was like, you know what? Flowers. Flowers are what I need and what I want. And she said, done. And sent me flowers. But it was so hard for me to ask. So just maybe just do it. If you're across town, cross state, then send a note. It doesn't have to cost you a lot of money. But if that is your love language, then just do it. Show up. Say, hey, I'll be there 10 minutes. (laughs) I'll be there in an hour. Do you want me to leave it on the doorstep or do you want me to come in? Just do it. When it comes to commenting online, I think that's one of the trickier ones. I think the... If someone shares about their grief or loss on social media, just offering up, I'm sorry, that must be awful. And that's it. That's it. If you want to say, I'm praying for you, that's great. Sending you love and thoughts, that's great too. But even just a basic, I'm so sorry, that must be really awful. Not, I know how you feel, because remember, we don't. It's different for every person. But just even that, something so small is so large and can have a profound effect. I think the, the other biggest part is that it's one thing to be in the grief in the initial stages, but it's so amazing when, like, weeks or months after, when someone remembers and they send you a card or bring you dinner. That gets me choked up when people remember because they think with loss and grief, our biggest fear, my biggest fear, I won't say our, my biggest fear is that people will forget. They will forget my mom. They will forget my grandma. They will forget my nephew, cousin. They will forget these incredible people. They'll forget my baby. They'll forget. And that for me has been the biggest fear. So don't be afraid to bring it up later. You won't wound them. You're not going to reopen anything. You could ask permission. Hey, you know, it's been a few months. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few years. How are you with this? 
and remembering. It's an incredible gift that you can give people because they haven't forgotten. They haven't moved on, most likely. And for you to be able to remember and to honor that, it's beautiful. It's incredible. I love hearing people talk about my mom. Yes, it makes me sad because I miss her every day. But it's so good for my heart because people haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten her. And I love hearing stories about her. I could listen to stories about my mom forever. And I know that in a few months, I would want someone to say, Hey, it's been a few months since you lost your baby. How are you? What do you need? It's so beautiful. Such a beautiful gift that you can give someone is just the gift of remembrance. So that, those are my, my thoughts about supporting people in grief. Just being there, you, you don't have to have the perfect words. You won't have the perfect words. And here's the thing. Nothing you can say will make them feel better. Nothing you can say. There's nothing that will make you feel better in that moment. Not copious amounts of ice cream, condolences, cards, gifts. Nothing takes away that ache. It helps and it's beautiful and it reminds you that you're not alone. But it won't fix it. It is not your job to fix someone that's broken and in grief. Your privilege is to share space. And just to sit and be. You don't have to have the right words. On social, it's even harder because it's all words. So just make it short. Brevity. I'm so sorry. That must be so hard. Not asking what they need or what you can do. Or just to let you know. Let them know. Let you know. Yeah. Just do it. Follow your heart. Just do it. I think the biggest thing for me... I put an ask out on Facebook because so many people did ask, what can we do? You know, let me know if you need help. Let me know if you need anything, which was amazing, but also overwhelming to me. And so I did a post that said, hey, if you feel called to do something, will you pay it forward? Will you leave a bigger tip when you go out to dinner one night? Will you buy somebody's coffee in the drive-thru behind you? Will you do a random act of kindness? Will you write a note to someone? Will you call someone that you haven't called in a while? Will you hug a stranger? Will you comfort someone that looks like they need it? Will you pay it forward? And one woman, oh, love this. One woman said that she and her husband went out to dinner and they left a $50 tip in honor of unborn baby Ludeman. And that, oh, that got me. It was beautiful. And I've had so many people commit to paying it forward in honor of my child. And that it just floors me. And that feels beautiful and comforting, knowing that people have not forgotten and that they are making the world a better place because of it. That feels beautiful to me. So there it is. Two weeks post-miscarriage, we are 
we are walking along. A lot of you have asked, and because I'm an open book, (laughs) I like to share with you, but a lot of you have asked if we're going to have another child. And truth be told, we're not sure. I'm 35, and that feels scary to me. (laughs) And I'm not sure. I think the thing that we're kind of doing is just waiting right now. There's rush, but no rush. Um, Yeah, it's been a challenge. And I want to talk about more about that and parenting and shame and all of the stuff that's come up as a result of all of this. I really want to share that with you, but I want to get further in my process on that so that when I present it to you that it's more complete than it is right now. Um, But I welcome your thoughts, your hugs, your soup. I had one sweet woman who made me soup. Oh, and it was delicious. Your flowers, your kind thoughts, your acts of service to someone else. I welcome all of that. And again, the the purpose of me telling you all this is so that if you've gone through it, that you can feel seen and heard and validated and knowing that you're not alone because there's something healing about us sharing our stories. And if you haven't gone through it, that you would understand a little bit of what it's like, that there's no way you can be prepared for it until you go through it. And that the hormones and the baby blues and the body changes that seem to take forever. I still have a little bit of my baby bump and big boobs that hurt still. I don't know how long it takes for those to revert, but they are not going anywhere. Know that people are are hurting all around you. And how can we, as a, as a person, as a group, as a collective, a culture, how can we extend more compassion and kindness and benefit of the doubt to other people? How can we do that? I had a few customer, not customers, clients uh, from the gym who were really frustrated when I said that I needed to reschedule my sessions and I didn't tell them why. And I get that, especially if you're new to someone, you think, what a flake, what a flake. Instead of having that attitude, because I take that attitude, I am, I struggle to give the benefit of the doubt. But what if we did that? Instead, what if we say, you know what, I choose to trust that you've got stuff going on because I know for a fact that everybody is fighting a battle. Everyone is fighting something. And lots of people are walking around with pain boxes, these balls and these buttons being triggered right and left. How can we show more compassion and grace first to ourselves? Because you cannot authentically do that for others until you do it for yourself. I am learning this as well. How can we show up for ourselves with grace and compassion and kindness and curiosity rather than criticism, judgment, and harsh words? Then we can extend that outward to our family, our friends, strangers, people in our community. That is what I want to see happen. I do not want my baby to have been conceived and love and carried in love and released in love to be for nothing. I want her life to mean something. And this is the 
the best way I can think of is to share her story, my story, and to encourage you in how you show up for people and how you show up for yourself. So thank you so much for letting me take up some space and to share with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. I love you. And if you, you know, have thoughts or feedback, um, I'm, I'm taking pretty much just positive feedback right now, I'll be honest. Usually I'm open to all sorts of constructive ideas about the show or something that kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Hold off on those, would you? It doesn't happen very often. I think I've gotten one in my entire podcasting career. But just if you have, you know, missed feelings, just hold on to those. Maybe wait a month. But if you've got, you know, constructive feedback, and that's positive and, and uplifting. I would love that. Would love to hear from you because I think about you all the time and think about this podcast and how it can serve you, how it can help you, how it can encourage you on your journey to feeling more confident in yourself and in being you bravely. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me. Again, I invite you to join us over on Facebook in the Captivatingly Confident community or to follow on Instagram at kim.ludeman. Yeah, there's lots, lots going on and lots coming up. I'm really excited. I leave for Nashville in 13 days. for the first reveal retreat. And I'm thrilled and terrified because I'm broken wide open. But I think that that's going to be making this retreat even more beautiful and meaningful. And it's going to be incredible. I can't wait to share with you when I get back all about it. But for now, I leave you with this thought that may you go forth from here in this moment having more compassion and grace and curiosity for yourself, understanding what you're experiencing and not judging it, but being observant and kind. May that extend to others as you take up space, as you show up for yourself, and as you continue in this journey of what it means to be you bravely. I love you. You're in my thoughts. You're in my heart. You're on my mind. And I'll see you next week. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Captivatingly Confident. I am so excited that you're here and investing in yourself. If you want to learn more about Captivatingly Confident, you can visit my website, captivatinglyconfident.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at kim.ludeman. Thank you so much for hanging out today. If you would like to, I invite you to subscribe to the show and also to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Every single review means so, so much to me and it helps to get the word about Captivatingly Confident out and to help change women's lives. I'll see you next time.